This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the season's first boys battle of Mineral County went down last night in Kaiser. We'll take a look. We'll break down uh, this weekend's Sweet 16. The transfer portal strikes again in Morgantown. It's amazing. Joe Shuda has another Rush of Friday feature today, a basketball Friday feature. And it's all about the free throws, baby. Which actually helped us uh, beat Kaiser last night. Hall of Famer Rick Barry, one of the greatest free throw shooters ever, will be part of today's Friday feature. As will be Ted St. Martin, who holds the Guinness Book of World Record for consecutive free throws made. And it's an astounding number. So uh, that Friday feature coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off Yet another essential work day, wrapping up yet another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Also on Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Any of those pages, like them, follow them, drop me a line, send me a message. You got a question, a comment, an opinion on anything we talk about. Uh, feel free. Again, at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C on Twitter, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio uh, on Facebook. Also, taking your calls on the Rush line. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. I'm struggling right now uh, with my speech. Because You ever get... Uh, one of those little bumps on your tongue, like an ulcer, right? Is that what those are? And those things hurt like nobody's business, right? I have one on the, the side of my tongue. And every time I talk, it, it like rubs against my teeth. So it's, it's, it's aggravating right now. Just wanted to mention it. All right, uh, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show. With a rock around the region. I wanna rock! And we start with boys high school basketball. With the first battle of Mineral County, well, the first of the season anyway, went down last night in Kaiser and Frankfurt picked up its first win of the season, 49-40. Uh, Jake Clark had 12 points. Bryston Dobemeyer had 10 for the Falcons. Derek Broadwater had a game high, 18 for Kaiser. Elsewhere, Pendleton County. Still unbeaten after a 64-38 win over Petersburg. I think it's up to, what, 29 games now? Is that right? 
They've won 29 straight going back to last season, something like that. It's in that range. 25, 26, 27, somewhere around there. It's a ridiculous number. And uh, it was Grafton 87, Preston 70. On the girls' side, uh, Petersburg got by Moorefield 58-52. Pocahontas County had little trouble with East Hardy 48-11. And it was Musselman 53, Martinsburg 46. In college hoops, here we go again. West Virginia Jr., Emmett Matthews Jr., announced he is entering the transfer portal. Matthews started 25 of 29 games this past season, averaging 26 minutes and nearly 8 points a game. He is the second Mountaineer to enter the portal since Sunday's loss to Syracuse, uh, joining Jordan McCabe. So now you have Matthews in the portal, you have McCabe in the portal, and you have Sean McNeil testing the NBA draft waters. It's It's crazy. We talked about this yesterday in length. About kids just don't stick around anymore. It's nuts. In high school soccer, girls high school soccer, Alexa Cook had a hattie, a hat trick for Mountain Ridge as they beat Fort Hill 9-0. On the ice last night, the Capitals shook off the rust from a five-day layoff to beat the Devils. Puck coming near corner to Severson. A pass through to Smith. Far side, Zajac coming in. A shot, they score! A tip by Evgeny Kuznetsov. Stayed low, scores against Blackwood. It's 4-3 Washington. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network. 4-3 the final as Evgeny Kuznetsov scored twice, including that game winner in the third period. Alex Ovechkin also scored for the Caps, who have won 8 of 9. Elsewhere, Jordan McCann scored a pair of power play goals as the Penguins handed the Sabres their 16th straight loss. 4-0 in the Berg. Uh, Casey DeSmith made 36 saves for the shutout. Sidney Crosby had three assists to become the eighth fastest player ever to reach 1,300 career points. In the NBA, the Wizards' second-half woes continued with a 106-102 loss to the Knicks at MSG. Uh, Bradley Beal had 26 points for Washington, which blew a 17-point lead in the third quarter. Beal says he's tired of losing. You know, you get frustrated, you get, you know, you get mad. I keep pushing, I keep duking it up. You know, eventually you run out of games. I said that tonight. You know, we can't, you know, playing hard doesn't, doesn't win you games. You know, we're supposed to do that. You got to start playing smarter, closing out games better. A lot of that falls on me, so I got to get my head out of my ass be better. The Wizards are now 1-8 since the All-Star break. And Bill really shouldn't be that hard on himself. <laughs> he, he's putting up points every single night. It's kind of the rest of the team. Or a lot of the uh, other members of the team that really aren't getting, you know, they need to pull their heads out of their collective you-know-whats to get the job done. Bill shows up every night. In spring training action, the Orioles rode a six-run second inning to a 10-9 win over the Pirates. Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes homeward for the O's. Phillip Evans had four hits for the Bucks, And the Nationals lost for the Marlins 7-3. And in the NFL, the Washington football team. Signed receiver Adam Humphreys to a one-year deal. Uh, Humphreys was released by the Titans in February in a salary cap dump. 
Uh, he had 23 catches for 228 and two touchdowns in just seven games uh, last season. He is a slot receiver who actually played alongside Ryan Fitzpatrick when they were both in Tampa. And now they're both in Washington. So there you go. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by uh, the Cap Rally Group. All right, so a lot to get to today, a lot of basketball to get to today. As I said, we're going to break down uh, the Sweet 16 this weekend. By the way, you can catch all of the Sweet 16 action right here on this station. All eight games tomorrow, Sunday, uh, coverage starting at 2 o'clock. First tip times, I think, 2.40 both days. And, oh, I forgot to mention. How could I forget to mention? We got high school football this afternoon, I guess we can call it. Allegheny at Mountain Ridge. It's a 5 o'clock kickoff, and we'll have the game for you right here on this station. Pre-game around 445, uh, 4.50. So there you go. Uh, real quick, before we get to some college hoops and whatnot, uh, so good. <laughs> the morning after a win uh, just makes the day a little bit better. Right when you wake up after a victory, uh, you know the the air smells better, the coffee tastes better, right? And it was nice to finally get that first win of the season. Uh, speaking from a a Frankfurt point of view, and it didn't hurt that it came against you know the Mineral County rival, right? No disrespect to Kaiser at all, but it's a rivalry. It's no secret that we have been struggling this year. And again, I, I must the, this disclaimer here is I always am hesitant to talk about our games because look, I'm not the head coach, so I don't want to speak out of turn. All right, but I I do believe I, I know what I'm talking about a little bit, you know. So it was good after an 0 and six start against. Look, let's face, let's be real here. I'm not making excuses because there are none. We were playing some big teams. Right? We had played uh, Hedgesville already this year, uh, Spring Mills. We, we played some you know, Preston, some quad A schools. We're, you know, we're a double A school, Frankfurt. And our schedule hasn't been easy. And I, I do believe it, if I think about it, see that we're one in six. I think six of those seven games were on the road. We've only played one home game this year. And if I'm not mistaken, like yesterday was the shortest road trip. That we've had so far to Kaiser, right? And that's not really a short trip by bus if you think about it. People think that you know Kaiser's a you know a hop, skip, and a jump. It really isn't. It's still it's still more than a half hour uh, by school bus. So we're off to a rough start. And again, you play tough competition. You're on the road a lot. You're riding that school bus a lot. It, it's it's the COVID scheduling. Nothing you can do about it. Nothing. You can complain about it, but it doesn't help. You play the games that are on the schedule, right? So it was good to finally get that win last season. And we finally got what I thought was a a collective effort from our big guys. On most nights, we're going to be bigger than a lot of teams. And I thought all of our bigs chipped in. You know, I mentioned Dalvin Meyer. He had 10. Jansen Moreland had 7. We rebounded much better. We finally used our size to our advantage. And really one of the keys to last night's game, we did some damage from the foul line. 
when it mattered. Because we look, it was a low scoring game, 49 40. It's not like either team was lighting up the scoreboard. And Frankfurt only made three field goals in the fourth quarter. That was it. But they, we, whatever, nine of 14 from the foul line in the fourth. I think, I think Brady Whitaker. He was 7 of 10 from the line. I think they were all in the second half. I'm not quite sure. Don't quote me on that. He may have had two in the first half. But he had seven points, and they were all from the line. I know Dobb was uh, two for two late in the fourth. Went, you know, clutch, clutch, clutch free throws. Foul shots you got to have down the stretch, especially when you're trying to hold on to a lead. So we did just enough, just enough to kind of keep Kaiser at arm's length, right? Just enough. If I'm not mistaken... We only scored six buckets the entire second half. <clears throat> three in the third quarter, three in the fourth quarter. But defense, any time you hold a team to 40 points, you should win. With our offense this year, that wasn't always a guarantee, obviously, because we haven't won a game before last night. And last, looking at the scorebook last night, it was one of those games that I kind of expected from us all season. We, we Look, Frankfurt doesn't have one of those, although Jake Clark's been really, really good lately. We don't have one of those uh, prolific scores that is going to kind of carry the team. Jake's probably the closest thing we have to it. You know, like Jansen Knotts was the go-to guy last year for Frankfurt, right? We needed a bucket. We needed some points. Jansen was the go-to. But we don't have that this year. So I kind of expected the games to go, you know, we're going to get, uh, you know, 13 from this guy, 10 from this guy, 8 from this one, 7 from this one, 6, you know what I mean? Everybody, and last night was one of those games. Because I mentioned, Clarkie had 12, Dobb had 10, then we had three guys with 7. Everybody doing their part, chipping in, playing great defense, rebounding, and that's that's just going to be, you know, every game is going to be a grind this year. Every game. Derek Broadwater, by the way, had a very good game for Kaiser. Very Kid can shoot. Very, I mean, he's, he's a heck of an athlete. can drive through the bucket. He's putting up shots. He's contorting his body in the air in ways that would make me pull every muscle in my body. You know what I mean? Like, he's driving to the left side and, and throwing. I don't know. It's I can't explain it. <laughs> can't explain it. But he was driving. He was hitting threes. He, he had a really good like 18 of Kaiser's 40 points. And then there is uh, number 33, uh, the Amoruso kid, Vito Amoruso, right? That kid I like. Just watching him on, him on film. He is one of the more fundamentally sound players you're ever going to see. You're ever going to see. I mean, seriously. And I, I say that, I don't, I don't mean to overblow it at all. But you can tell he plays a lot of basketball. You can tell he plays a lot of basketball. Rebounding, position, shot, boxing out, setting screens, knowing where to be on the floor, post moves. I mean, he, the kid knows how to play ball. So it was a good game. It was a game you would expect from Kaiser and Frankfurt last night. All right. Now, Chapin Jewel, I, he, he was a little bit off. I saw he put on the old uh, book of faces that, you know, he would expect nothing less than a game that was within five points. And it looked that way, you know, in the third quarter. Because Frankfurt was up by 12 at the half. And then Kaiser came flying back in the third quarter. A little full-court pressure, or actually it's half-court pressure. 
And it was only a two-point game at the end of the third. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to go right down to the wire again, like it seems most Frankfurt and Kaiser games do. But Frankfurt was able to get a couple buckets early in the fourth, kind of re-extend that lead, and then just hold them off with foul shots. So it was a good game. Finally, good to get a win. And we were finally going to get some home games. <laughs> we're finally going to get to play at home. I think our next four games are at home, if I'm not mistaken. Braxton County tomorrow, Berkeley Monday, Moorfield Wednesday, Petersburg Friday. I think all four are at home. I'm, fair, I'm fairly certain. That's a lot of games, by the way. Again, it's the COVID scheduling. Nothing you can do about it. You're trying to fit in as many games as you possibly can in a very short period of time. So you figure, game last night, game tomorrow, Monday, when, that's five games in what? What's the math there? Thursday, Friday, so eight, ga- eight days? Five games in eight days? Woo! Hey, I don't have to do the running, so <laughs> I'm not going to get tired. I'll be just fine. Coaches will be just fine. But anyway, again, good to get the win. Good to get off the uh, the schneid. Very good to get the goose egg out of the win column. And I do believe it's Frankfurt and Kaiser next week. Or not not next, the following week in short gap. So we'll see what happens. All right. Enough of that. When we come back, we'll move up one level to college hoops. And we'll start breaking down this weekend Sweet 16. Four games on tap tomorrow. We'll talk about them all when we return. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I got a little, uh, little digestional problems. That's not even a word, I know, but it is. Now, had a late dinner last night. Didn't get back from the game until probably right before 10. Uh, Mrs. C and Little C got some grub from uh, Foxes in Fort Ashby. Free plug. And much to my uh, surprise, uh, they got olives on uh, like half the pizza. Not a big fan, I must admit. It's not terrible. Olives on pizza, but it's not, you know, I wouldn't pick it. I am, you know, I'm more of a a pepperoni, sausage, mushroom kind of guy. Like, those are my go-tos. If I'm ordering some slices, it's got to be some pep, some sausage, and some shrooms. That's pretty much... As far I, you know, I don't get too much adventurous outside of that. I know some people like you know they go the the onion and pepper route, you know the supreme kind of deal. Eh. Olives, not you know not my first choice. And don't get me started on the whole pineapple thing. Just don't, just don't. I had I had a kid uh, ask me in practice one day, Coach, what do you think about pineapple on pizza? And I almost. Send them home from practice. Don't get me started. Don't do not ask an Italian about pineapple on pizza. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. Anyway, uh, point being, I ate the pizza late last night, and it's kind of uh, taking out its revenge this morning. All right, so 
the Sweet 16 will go down this weekend in Indianapolis. Four games on tap tomorrow, four more on Sunday, and a reminder, programming note, you can catch all the action right here on this very station. Every game, coverage begins each day at 2 o'clock. And kind of fitting with this unusual year, it is a Sweet 16 that I don't think anybody could have predicted. (laughs) You know, we have a Sweet 16 with a 6 seed, a 7 seed, an 8 seed, two 11s, a 12, and a 15. And we talked about this earlier in the week. If you add up all the seeds in these region semifinals, it comes out to 94, which is the highest it's ever been since the tournament expanded to 64 teams back in 1985. Now, we still have three number ones left and two number twos. So maybe the cream rises to the top, right? This weekend and in the Elite Eight. And those double digit, you know, those double digit seeds are sent home. And then we're left with, you know, some ones and twos and threes. First game of the weekend, tomorrow, it's a 240 tip. A Midwest region semifinal that I don't think anybody <laughs> saw coming. The 8-seed Loyola Chicago and the 12-seed Oregon State. I don't think many people predicted the old 8-12 matchup in the region semi. Loyola got there by knocking off Georgia Tech and then wrecking millions of brackets, mine included, by beating number 1 Illinois. Oregon State, one of four uh, Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16, They beat Tennessee and Oklahoma State. A lot of orange in those two games right there. Loyola, they have played some lockdown defense in the first two rounds. They held Georgia Tech to 60 points and then Illinois to 58. Oregon State, been pretty decent on the defensive end as well. They held Tennessee to 33% shooting and OK State to 27.7%. And... They are just, they're absolutely hammering teams on the glass. Averaging 46 and a half boards so far this tournament. And it helps, you know, whenever your big guys go 7 1 and 6 10. And I don't think many people expected Oregon State to get this far because, look, they needed to win the Pac 12 tournament just to get in to this tournament. Some people were also calling Loyola Chicago a Cinderella, even though, with you know, for those with short memories, the Ramblers made a run to the Final Four just three years ago. So I'm not exactly sure they can qualify as a Cinderella. I know they're an eight seed. They they may have been underseeded as an eight. And if you don't believe me, just ask their biggest fan, Sister Jean who says, you might think you know, <laughs> but you don't know. Sometimes we play a better game when the school is a real challenge to us. I tell them never to play down to a team. And sometimes it's very easy to do that. The bracketologists watch the games endlessly, and they watch the plays, but they really don't know the team. I said, I know my team, so 
I think that's why I put such faith and trust in them and what they what they're capable of doing. I I don't want to be a bracketologist either, so don't worry. Is uh is Sister Jean is is one hundred and one year old Sister Jean throwing some shade at my man Joe Lunardi? Did she just say that? She said, bracketologists watch the games, but they don't know. They don't know Loyola Chicago like I do. She just said that. But she also said that the team steps up to the challenge. They play better against better teams. And the thing is, Vegas, they see what Sister Jean's throwing down. They have Loyola as a six-and-a-half point favorite in this game. For those of you who, of course, Interested in such things. And I like them to win. I like the Ramblers to beat Oregon State and move on to the Elite Eight for the second time since 2018. Then I don't think there's any way you can call them an underdog or a Cinderella. You can't. You probably can't call them that now. But if they get back to the Elite Eight for the second time in three years, it's legit. Just ask uh, Sister Jean. All right, in the second game tomorrow, a South Region semifinal. Top-seeded Baylor against the five-seed Villanova. This one, one of the few semifinals that looks somewhat normal, right, as far as seeds go. Baylor got here with wins over Hartford and Wisconsin. Nova has wins over Winthrop and North Texas, so they really haven't been tested all that much uh, through two games. Baylor, big key for them, they have dominated the turnover battle in his first two games. They had 10 turnovers in the first round, but they forced 24 against Hartford. They forced 14 against Wisconsin, and he only had four turnovers of their own. And that's going to be big when we're talking about you know a Villanova team that still doesn't have their injured uh, star point guard, Colin Gillespie. Another big key to this game. Could be Baylor's ability to shoot the three and Nova's inability to stop it. Baylor leads the country shooting 41.5% from the on the arc. That is ridiculous. Nova ranks 237th in the nation, allowing opponents to shoot nearly 35% from downtown. Baylor is favored by seven and a half in this game, and they should be. I think their guard play is going to make a difference. Got Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and they'll definitely take advantage with Gillespie still being out for Villanova. Wildcats will not be able to handle that backcourt. The threes will reign supreme. Baylor will win, and they will move on to face the winner of the third game tomorrow, which is Arkansas and the Cinderella of the tournament, Oral Roberts. Arkansas is the third seed, ORU, just the second, 15th seed ever to reach the Sweet 16. Arkansas is here after wins over Colgate and Texas Tech. ORU stunned everybody, especially number two Ohio State in the first round. And then they rallied to stun number seven Florida in the second round. And really, just like the Baylor-Nova game, this game could come down to three-point shooting. And it seems like every single game comes down to that, right? 
In the first two rounds, Arkansas, their opponents shot 47% from beyond the arc. That's almost that's almost a 50% clip. Oral Roberts lives and dies by the three. They lead the country with 10.8 made threes per game. They are right at that average through two rounds of the tournament. Razorbacks have the advantage on the glass. They rank 17th in the country in boards per game. ORU, 268th. And they got this far. They beat Ohio State and Florida despite getting out-rebounded terribly in both games. Ohio State out-rebounded them by 17, Florida by 13. I know we love the underdog. I know we love the Cinderella's. I know sometimes we pick games with our hearts instead of our minds. Arkansas is an 11.5-point favorite. They'll be able to push the ball. They'll be able to score in transition. They definitely have the advantage on the glass. ORU is going to have to shoot the lights out to keep it close, which I think they will for a while because they have the leading scorer in the country in, uh, what's the kid's name? Is it Abmus? Absmus? And they have, they, have, they have two legit players. I'm for, I can't, what's, the, what's the second kid's name? This is a shame. It's not Connor, but it's something very close to that. O'Banner. That's the area. O'Banner's the other one. Thank you. Those two guys are legit players. They are legit basketball players. Absmith leads the nation in scoring. Those two are going to have the game. They're going to have to have the games of their lives if they want to beat Arkansas tomorrow. And even if they do, I don't know if they can beat Arkansas because it takes more than two guys. I like Arkansas if you haven't figured it out by now. They'll survive. They'll advance to face Baylor in the South Region Final. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we'll look at the last game tomorrow, the late game, Cuse and Houston. Then we'll wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We talked uh, earlier in the hour uh, how Frankfurt beat Kaiser with some clutch free throws down the stretch last night. And in our Friday feature, Joe's talking to Hall of Famer, one of the greatest free throw shooters ever, Rick Barry, and the man who holds the Guinness World Record for consecutive made free throws. And the number is staggering. Again, that's next hour. So we've already gone over three of the four games tomorrow. I told you I like Loyola, Chicago, Baylor, and Arkansas to move on. In the final game tomorrow, the late tip, the other Midwest semifinal, it's the second seed Houston versus number 11 Syracuse. Houston crushed Cleveland State in the first round then rallied in the second half to beat Rutgers in round two. Syracuse upset San Diego State and then West Virginia to get this far. 
the Orange back in the Sweet 16 as a double-digit seed for the third time in six seasons. Houston trying to reach the Elite Eight for the first time since Clyde Drexler and the Phi Slamma Jamma days back in 82 to 84. Buddy Beheim, of course, been talking about him a lot this week. He's been the talk and the key for uh, Syracuse so far. Had 22 of his 25 points in the second half against West Virginia. <clears throat> Quentin Grimes, excuse me, got a little, <clears throat> little throat in my frog. Quentin Grimes, the player to watch for Houston because he frankly does it all. Averaging 18.1 points, six boards, two assists per game. And look, we all know about Syracuse's 2-3 zone, which gives teams absolute fits. They lock it down, they pack it in, they'll extend it, they move. And I, I said this when we broke down the West Virginia game on Monday. From a basketball perspective, it's almost mesmerizing to watch that zone because everybody is just moving in unison. It's not just one guy moving and four guys standing still. Or two guys moving and three guys standing still. It is in unison. It's something to watch. And what they try to do is they try to force you to shoot a lot of threes. And San Diego State and West Virginia shot a combined 22 of 66 from three-point range against that zone. Houston is favored by six in this game. But I actually like Syracuse to win this one. And it's because of that zone defense. For if you've seen it enough, right? Like if you play in the ACC, if you're, you know, if you're Duke or North Carolina or any of those teams in, in conference play, and you see that zone enough, right? You kind of know what to expect. You can you can work on it, you can make adjustments. And you and you can watch all the film you want. You're not going to really know until you're on the floor. And teams that face that zone for the first time, they struggle. Houston is seeing this zone for the first time. And I think they're going to struggle. I think they're going to have problems with it. And that's why I like I like the Orange to win the game. And so we're, we'll be looking at an Elite Eight matchup Eight seed Loyola Chicago against the eleven seed Syracuse. That whole Midwest region is a, is an absolute. Like I said, it's a dumpster fire. When you think about it, we're either going to have Loyola Chicago, Oregon State, Syracuse, or Houston in the Final Four out of, out of that that region. And Houston, and look, Houston's the only like really hot. They're a number two seed. Then you have an eight, a twelve, and an eleven. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. But LA Syracuse against Houston. There you go. The the elite eight on that side of the, of the bracket, in my opinion, in the books right there. And we'll go over uh, the other games again on Sunday. Well, in the next hour, Sunday's games in the next hour. If you're a Ravens fan and you want a good read, I saw I was looking over this story by uh, Jamison Hensley, who covers the Ravens for ESPN. 
on how Baltimore is having some issues uh, getting a a big-name receiver to come to the team. And he mentioned, you know, when uh, GM Eric DaCosta was asked back in January about how you get a free agent wide receiver to come to Baltimore, he kind of pulled a line from the godfather and said, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. Well, they've made some offers, and, and they're refusing those offers. They made a push for Juju Smith-Schuster from the Steelers, and they made a push for T.Y. Hilton from the Colts. And they struck out both times. And Jameson is trying to figure out why. Because in each case, Baltimore offered more money than the other teams. The Ravens offered Juju a one-year, $9 million deal with $4 million in incentives, so it could have been a $13 million deal. But instead, he chose to stay in Pittsburgh, one-year, 8 mil. Just past Wednesday, they made a strong push for Hilton, offering a multi-year deal with more guaranteed money than the Colts. But Hilton stayed in Indianapolis for a one-year, $10 million deal. Now, it's possible that they felt more comfortable staying with their own teams. It's possible that the deals from Baltimore just weren't enough, that they want more in free agent. They'd rather sign the one-year deal to stay in Pittsburgh, to stay in Indy, that maybe they'll test the market again next year. But there's also the theory being thrown out there that receivers just don't want to play in a run-heavy offense that they just don't want to be, I guess, lost in a team that runs the ball a lot. And, you know, John Harbaugh is on record as saying that he's, he does not, he's not going to apologize for a run-oriented offense, and he's not going to beg a wide receiver to come to Baltimore. But you better start begging soon because if Lamar Jackson is going to take that next step as a quarterback in the NFL, he needs guys to throw to. So the question is, are these receivers turning down Baltimore because it's just not enough money? Or they just don't want to come play for a team that runs the ball a lot? You know how receivers are. Receivers are the biggest divas in the NFL. They got to have their targets. They got to have their catches. They got to have their yards. Juju's one of the biggest divas in the entire league. And it's possible, very possible, The Ravens are having a hard time attracting a big-time receiver because they run the ball too much. Anyway, give it a read. It's on the the website, ESPN's website. Jameson Hensley, good piece by him. All right, hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're on the corner doing push-ups. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Reminder, several ways to get involved on the show. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C on Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Like the pages, follow the pages. Anytime you feel so inclined to do so, drop us a line. Got a question, comment, opinion, who you like in the Sweet 16 this weekend? Are the Ravens really having trouble? 
signing a receiver because nobody wants to play in that run-heavy offense? It's possible. It's possible. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. Go back and check it out if you miss something. If you missed the first hour, we broke down tomorrow's games, all four games in the Sweet 16. We'll break down the other four later this hour. We talked about the Ravens and their receiver issues. And we talked about the boys' high school matchup last night between Frankfurt and Kaiser. Speaking of which, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with that game, the first battle of Mineral County of the season. It did go down last night in Kaiser, and Frankfurt picked up its first win of the year, 49-40. Jake Clark had 12 points. Bryston Dobbelmeyer had 10 for the Falcons who are now 1-6. Derek Broadwater had a game-high 18 for the Golden Tornado. Elsewhere, Pendleton County stayed undefeated with a 64-38 win over Petersburg. I got something in my Hold on. Wow. It's like a... Somebody shove a piece of glass in there? Jeez. All right, there we go. Where was I? Oh, Pendleton County undefeated. Uh, beat Petersburg 64-38, and it was Grafton 87, Preston 70. On the girls' side, Petersburg got by Moorfield 58-52. Pocahontas County beat East Hardy 48-11, and it was Musselman 53, Martinsburg 46. In college hoops, here we go again with the transfer portal in Morgantown. West Virginia junior Emmett Matthews Jr. announced he is now entering the portal. Matthew started 25 of 29 games this past season. He averaged 26 minutes, nearly eight points a game. He is the second Mountaineer to enter the portal since Sunday's loss to Syracuse, uh, joining Jordan McCabe. So McCabe is gone, Matthews is gone, and Sean McNeil is testing the NBA draft waters. In girls' high school soccer yesterday, Alexa Cook had the Hattie, a hat trick, as Mountain Ridge beat Fort Hill uh, 9-0. On the ice last night, the Capitals shook off the rust from a five-day layoff to beat the Devils. Puck coming near corner to Severson. A pass through to Smith. Far side, Zajac coming in. A shot, they score! A tip by Evgeny Kuznetsov. Stayed low, scores against Blackwood. It's 4-3, Washington! John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network. 4-3, the final, as Evgeny Kuznetsov scored twice, including... That game winner right there in the third period. Alex Ovechkin also scored for the Caps, who have won 8 of 9. Elsewhere, Jordan McCann. That's not right. His name's not Jordan. His name is Jared. I have Jordan McCabe on the brain here. Jared McCann scored a pair of power play goals as the Penguins handed the Sabres their 16th straight loss. 4-0 in Pittsburgh. Uh, Casey DeSmith made 36 saves for the shutout. Sidney Crosby had three assists to become the eighth fastest player in NHL history to reach 1,300 career points. In the NBA, the Wizards' second-half woes continued with a 106-102 loss to the Knicks at MSG. Uh, Bradley Beal had 26 points for Washington. 
which blew a 17-point lead in the third quarter. Beal says he's tired of losing. You know, you get frustrated, you get, you know, you get mad. I keep pushing, I keep duking it up. You know, eventually you run out of games. I said that tonight. You know, we can't, you know, playing hard doesn't doesn't win you games. You know, we're supposed to do that. You got to start playing smarter, closing out games better. A lot of that falls on me, so I got to get my head out of my ass be better. The way... The Wizards are now 1-8 since the All-Star break. Uh, Bradley being a little bit too hard on himself. The man shows up every night. The man puts up 26, 27, 30, 33, 40 points every night. The entire team uh, needs to pull their heads out of their collective you-know-what to be better. But you admire the fact that he steps up and puts it upon himself. It's got to be me. It starts with me. Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook are doing everything they can to carry that team. And they were look, they were looking sharp. They were looking better heading into the All-Star break. They had actually played themselves into the outside conversation of a playoff spot. But then the All-Star break came, and they, they're one in eight since. The All-Star break comes sometimes at the worst possible time. It could be an absolute momentum killer. And I think that's the case with Washington. So, Bradley, don't be too hard on yourself. You're still a superstar. You're still an all-star. It's everybody else. It's not you. It's them. In spring training action, the Orioles rode a six-run second inning to a 10-9 win over the Pirates. Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes homered for the O's. Is it me, or does it seem like most uh, highlights from the O's come from Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes this spring. They're playing well. They're swinging some hot bats. Uh, Phillip Evans had four hits for the Bucs, and the Nationals lost for the Marlins 7-3. And in the NFL, the Washington football team signed receiver Adam Humphreys to a one-year deal. Humphreys was released by Tennessee in February in a salary cap dump. Uh, he had 23 catches for 228 and two touchdowns in just seven games uh, last season, Humphreys is a slot receiver, and he actually played with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick in Tampa Bay. So now they're playing together uh, in Washington. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. All right, uh, reminder, later this hour, we'll break down the four games on Sunday of the Sweet 16. Right now, we're going to keep this basketball hoop Jones going with our Rush Friday feature. My main man, my main man Joe Shuda. Wow, that was terrible. My main man, Joe Shuda, in English. Catch all his stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2, MinuteTO.com. All his interviews, all his 2-minute timeouts, all that stuff right there. He uh, talked with two people in today's feature. It's a free throw bonanza. As he talks with Rick Barry and the Guinness record holder for consecutive free throws made, and you wait until you hear the number. It's amazing. So here's our Rush Friday basketball feature with my main man, Joe Shuda. It's time for the Rush Friday basketball feature with Joe Shuda.
It's a Rush Friday basketball feature with Pro Basketball Hall of Famer Rick Barry and the holder of the Guinness World Record for consecutive free throws made, Ted St. Martin. Rick Barry starts things off talking about how basketball has changed, players entering the NBA early, and free throw shooting. Well, the sophistication of the training available to the players today is off the charts. I never lifted a weight. We didn't have a strength coach, an agility coach, a dietitian, all the other things that these guys have. So the ability to fine-tune your body and get your body as well prepared as possible for playing the game is the best it's ever been. That's one of the reasons why you look at these guys, they look like these chiseled statues of Greek gods. Just amazing what they're able to do. But the game has changed because I think coaches have allowed too much of the one-on-one stuff. The redeeming quality, though, is is that the teams that win championships actually play basketball the way it was designed to be played. Play tough defense as a team and play unselfishly and move the ball one-on-one. It can work for you if the player that's doing it is really hot and on his game, but if he's not, you're never going to win a championship and beat a team in seven games if you play that way. So hopefully that will continue to be the case, and uh, that'll be the redeeming quality of the NBA, that you only win a championship when you play the game the right way on both ends of the court. Your feeling about kids coming out right out of high school as compared to going a year or two to college? I don't like it. There's very few LeBron James in the world who can come out and have an impact on the game. Back when I played, it was four years after your high school graduation, you were eligible for the draft. I know that I would never have been ready if I had come out early. I was skinny as as could be. I had four years to basically, for me, have training to get ready to play in the NBA because I played for a former NBA player. Bruce Hale was my coach, and he was an outstanding player. And we played pro-style basketball in college, man-to-man defense. We pushed the ball. We scored a lot of points. In fact, in college in my last year, I think, if I'm not mistaken, without the three-point shot this is, of course, we averaged 98 points a game in college. So we used to get it up and down the court. And so I had all of that training. I was better prepared. And I'm one of the few players, I think, in the history of the game that came out of college and made first-team All-Pro. And I was only 21 years old when I came out of college. So I was ready. Most of these kids aren't ready. A lot of them emotionally aren't ready. Physically, some of them aren't ready. The ones that do make it are the ones that are great physical specimens, like LeBron James. Physically, he doesn't have to worry about it. But for every LeBron James, there's a whole bunch of other guys who don't make it. And so they basically have screwed up their entire life, possibly, because they didn't get their education. They don't have something to fall back on. And I'm not a big proponent of it. I'm kind of shocked that the NBA is going back to wanting to have the kids come out and let them come out of high school. I think they're trying to develop the, uh, the G League and trying to get kids to come in there and have more of a minor league system like baseball has. Because very few guys come out when they're drafted in college baseball who go to the majors and become success. You were outstanding at shooting free throws. What's the key to that that the guys don't get? What are they not doing? Well, they just haven't perfected whatever it is that they're doing properly. They obviously don't have the proper technique for a lot of them. They don't have good fundamentals. And they don't practice enough to get to the point where you develop confidence in your shot. That's what it really comes down to. You have to have confidence in your ability to get up there and be able to do the sh- do, perform what you're supposed to perform on a, a consistent basis. For me, anyone who can't shoot 80% from the free throw line is not a good free throw shooter. I mean, flat out. I mean, 70-something percent is, is, accept- is, is reasonably close to being acceptable, but 80% to me is the barometer. If you can't shoot 80%, you're not a good free throw shooter and you need to work on your game. Uh, come on, think about it. It's the only part of the game that's pos- that's a, 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 the same thing every time. Same distance, same size ball, same size basket. Nobody's trying to prevent you from doing what you're doing. How do you even live with yourself if you can't make four out of every five shots? I mean, seriously. Every time I missed, I was upset with myself and I actually got better. My last six years, I made an adjustment to my father's technique 
and I shot over 92% over those six years. My last two years, I averaged over 94%. I only missed 19 free throws in my entire last two seasons. There was one player from the Detroit Pistons who missed 23 shots in one game a couple of seasons ago. So, I mean, it's appalling to me that a player, there are guys out there who are making a fortune, being paid $20 million more, even crazy amounts of money, who can't make 80% from the free throw line. It's absurd. Ted St. Martin set the Guinness World Record for consecutive free throws made. How did all this start? Well, I went out in my backyard when I was about 36 years old to see how many I could make. I made 210, missed one, and then made 514 more in a row. And I started checking to see what the world record was, and it was only 144 according to Guinness. So I started setting up official shoots where I would have people that could witness. My first record was 200 even. Then I was eventually hired by a sporting goods company, and they put me on the road, and I started breaking the record almost every day. That was my main thing, was trying to do consecutive strings, and, and I was fortunate to have a sponsor where I could do that, you know, every day. I've had quite an experience traveling. The biggest one was in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, during the Southeast Conference Tournament. I got to shoot at every halftime. I think there was nine games. I hadn't missed up through the seventh game, and they were trying everything. They had a cop with a billy club over my head trying to make me miss, and that didn't. And they had a picture of a scantily clad woman, and that didn't make me miss which I, I knew I better not with my wife, Barbara, in the crowd. But I finally did miss, and it sounded, I didn't realize it, but the crowd made a noise like uh, the winning basket in a game. They wanted, I guess they were waiting for me to miss. Ted, give some free throw tips. Okay, because I guarantee 90% when I teach. The main thing is their follow-through, for one thing. They might have a good-looking follow-through from the side, where a coach is looking off from the side. It looks like he's got that gooseneck properly. But if you get underneath a basket, he's got it either to the left or the right. And the gooseneck finish should be right square in the hoop. And uh, that's what I make sure when I teach. And they'll never miss from the left to the right. A good shooter, he'll miss long or short, but not to the left or right. And then another thing is bending the knees too much. That's always been a thing that coaches teach. Bend your knees. They don't tell them how much. And the key is very little, just enough to coordinate your upper body. The free throw is an upper body shot. Just like uh, you can relate it to the jump shot. When you shoot a jump shot, you're in the air. And what moves when you're in the air? Only your arms and your wrists. I don't recommend that you uh, stand perfectly still at the free throw line. Just bend your knees enough to coordinate that upper body. It takes away from being nervous at the end of the game when you're shooting the, end, the winning basket because your knees are shaking. So if you rely on those knees, you're going to miss. Get it to an upper body shot. You can just make, you can make them all the time. Your shooting hand, you put the shooting foot in the middle of the line facing the basket, right straight, directly towards the basket. And your uh, non-shooting arm, your foot, like I'm, I'm right-handed, I put my right foot even with the middle of the rim. There's usually a nail hole on the line, and that's the middle of the line. And then my other foot, I just let it be comfortable. No matter where you put it, let it be comfortable to make sure you're square to the basket. And that follow-through into the hoop, you don't have to put your arm in like a lot of coaches teach. That's uncomfortable and it's unnatural. So no matter where you put your arm, as long as your, your wrist and fingers follow through, finish up right directly into the basket, you've got it made. Just a lot of practice with good form and proper arch. And I look at the back of the rim because you're looking down in the basket uh, at the time you're looking in the, at the back of the rim. And that's where you want the ball to go. You don't look at the front of the rim, which a lot of coaches teach, and then shoot over it. You look at the back of the rim, and you're actually shooting for the target with the proper 
upper arc. Who does Ted think can break the consecutive free throw record that he holds? There's a lot of people out there that love to shoot free throws, and they're getting better all the time. There's several out there that are getting up in the high numbers. Rick Rosser is one of them. Even uh, Rick Berry's son, Cameron Berry, that played for Florida, could do it if he really tried. Even Rick himself is still a very good shooter. I think Mr. Curry could do that if he put his effort into it and shot every day and had that in his mind. But he's such a good player, he's tied up with other things right now. But he may do it after he retires because he won't be... Any any older than what I was when I first set the record. I think if they gave it the, uh, the time and, uh, and effort, they could do it. I love to shoot the long shot, and that's quite well beyond the three-point line. It's just an extension of the free throw, actually. I mean, I've found that if you're a good free throw shooter, you can make the long shots. Good long shot shooters doesn't necessarily make a good free throw shooter. So start from the free throw line and get proficient at that, and then you could become a good three-point shooter or beyond, which is just an extension of that free throw. I shot the same way, had to put a little more effort into it, but your concentration and confidence are what count then. Confidence is the most important thing, knowing that it's going to go in, and uh, I can't shoot anymore. I told my wife early in my career, I would love to be able to shoot till I'm 70. Well, when I got to 70, it's just like it, it was planned. Uh, I couldn't shoot with accuracy anymore, and I'm 82 now, and I, I certainly can't shoot now. I get tired of uh, seeing uh, NBA players and college players miss their free throws so bad when they they're not putting the effort into it and uh, it's so easy to teach them and uh, like I say I guarantee 90% I've got players that have done that and none that are well known but high school players it's just so easy to teach them because there's not much to put into it I just look because they've been shooting and all I have to do is change two or three things maybe only one thing I had a girl from Memphis Tennessee a senior her parents brought her down for a lesson she was a very good shooter I was worried I couldn't find a thing wrong with her and the thing I told her finally, I said, the only thing that I would do, and I I don't like to take the bending of the knees away, especially from a girl, because you might need that strength to get it up there. She wanted to try it, and she loved it. And her dad called me that winter as her senior year. She didn't miss a free throw because she had changed just that little one thing, not bending her knees too much. You look at me, a short, old man, and, and I don't have the best form. I, I mean, I grant you that. It's a cross between a two-handed shot and a one-handed shot but it was comfortable for me. I could make a one-handed push shot in the hundreds uh, consecutively, but this two-handed shot like I shot was so comfortable and, and so much confidence in it. That's probably why they, did, they didn't like my style, probably. But when I look at their shot, I don't change their shot. I just have them put into it what they have to to get to 90%. That's the simple part of it. If they're a shooter already, it doesn't take much, and I can guarantee them 90%. I did a college here in Jacksonville a few years back where I got the whole team up in a one-hour session. Well, a little more over over an hour. Their, their entire practice session, the coach let me take one player at a time down at the other end of the floor while they continued their practice. I didn't want them all to be together for the reason you tell one to do this and the other one's listening. So I wanted to get them all by themselves and change whatever they had to put into their shot individually. I got them from 40, 40-some percent, I think it was 48, up to 70% for the rest of the year. That was Jacksonville University, Division One school. I could still do that if they wanted me to come and uh, watch them shoot and tell them what they need to do, but I don't see much of a future. <laughs> they really put it to me yet. I mean, they, they look at me and laugh, I guess. And finally, Ted St. Martin talks about the day he broke the consecutive free throw record. How many do you think he made? 
I give clinics teaching people. I had several kids there that day and their parents, and when we got through uh, teaching them, they wanted me to shoot until I missed. So I shot, and at 7 hours and 20 minutes later, I finally missed. I was in the uh, in the groove. When you get in the groove and don't want to miss, you don't stop. I mean, at that for that many. I took a drink, at the, a drink of water, which was brought out to me, and that's all I did. I, w- I didn't take a break at all. I'm not thinking about it. That's why I do such a simple shot. I don't bounce a ball at all. It makes it very easy. You don't have to think about anything because it's muscle memory and you're concentrating on the back of the rim. You don't look at the front of the rim, which a lot of coaches teach, and then shoot over it. You look at the back of the rim and you're actually shooting for the target with the proper arc. You just keep your fluid motion going because if you stop, you're going to get stiff which I, I've done a number of times when I shot for 24 hours. I'd take a five-minute break. It took me forever to start making them when I got back from that five-minute break. That's where I missed. I still made 90% in 24 hours, but the shots I missed were right after the break, trying to get back into the groove. So I didn't want to take a break. I just took a drink of water and uh, kept going. In a way, it was a sense of relief, but on the other hand, your mind wants to keep going, but your body tells you to miss. It's scooped in and out, which is common for uh, kind of cheating a little bit, not Put, not putting the proper arc on it. If you put the proper arc on it, well, if you don't put the proper arc on it, the sign of it is scooping either from back to front or front to back. I made 5,221. That's according to the Guinness Book of Records. We had a scorekeeper there. Records are made to be broken, and I realize that, and I would be encouraging anybody to break mine. Uh, I'd be the first one to congratulate him. So there you go. Joe Shuda, our Rush Friday feature, all about the free throws. Rick Barry and Ted St. Mark. What did he say? 5,221 straight free throws? Think about that. How many teams you see came and, you know, getting me perfect from the line in one game? My man sat there for, what was it, over seven hours and made 5,221 straight Foul shots. That's amazing. Seriously, next time you're near a basketball court and there's a, you know, go to the foul line and start shooting. See how many you can make in a row. I mean, it's, I can't even fathom that. Like every day we shoot 20 foul shots in, in practice. We, we, the players have to make 20 foul shots. I don't think anybody's gotten a perfect 20 for 20 yet this season. This dude made 5,221 foul shots in a row. That's just, that's dumb. That's, <laughs> that's Next time you're at a basketball court, you have a basketball, go to the foul line, see how many you can make in a row, and then you'll realize how difficult it is for a man to stand there for seven-plus hours and make 5,000-plus free throws in a row. Anyway, thank you so much to Joe Shuda, to Rick Barry, to Ted St. Martin for that Rush Friday basketball feature. Stick around. Coming up, more Hoops Talk. We'll break down Sunday's Sweet 16 games. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Talking a lot of hoops today. Breaking down this weekend's Sweet 16 matchups. 
In the first hour, we went over tomorrow's four games where I, not that I've been picking, you know, great this tournament. (laughs) I still had Baylor, Arkansas, Loyola, Chicago, and Syracuse uh, moving on. On the left side of the bracket, four more games on Sunday. And again, you can catch them all right here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio coverage beginning at 2 o'clock. The first game Sunday, a 2.40 tip. A West Region semifinal between the top overall seed Gonzaga and number 5 Creighton out of the Big East. Zags breezed through the first two rounds with wins over Norfolk State and Oklahoma. Creighton has wins over a couple of double-digit seeds Number 12, UC Santa Barbara, and number 13, Ohio. Gonzaga, as we all know, still undefeated, trying to become the first team to finish undefeated since Indiana in 1976. Zags have more talent than they know what to do with. Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, and Super Frosh, Jalen Suggs, who could actually be the top overall pick in the NBA draft. Timmy had 30 points in the win over Oklahoma. Creighton has a three-headed monster of its own with Mitchell Balick, Denzel Mahoney, and Marcus Zagorowski. Those three combined to make 205 three-pointers this season. And Zagorowski is averaging 18.5 points and five assists through two games uh, this tournament. Zags are favored by 13-and-a-half, rightfully so. They're so talented. They can beat you in so many ways. I had Creighton getting upset in the first round in the 5-12 game because of all the drama that was surrounding that team. The drama has died down, but they're going to get beat because Gonzaga is simply the better team. And things are kind of opening up. Now, I had the Zags... When the tournament first started, I had him losing to Iowa in the region final. Of course, Iowa's gone. So things are opening up rather nicely now for Gonzaga to get perhaps to the final four. I definitely like him against Creighton on Sunday. In the second game, an East region semifinal between number four Florida State and top-seeded Michigan, this is the only chalk matchup in the Sweet 16. It's the only one where the seeds worked out the way they were supposed to. Michigan is here after wins over Texas Southern and LSU. That was a tough game against LSU. Florida State, uh, they beat UNC Greensboro and then blew out Colorado. Didn't expect that. I expected that game to be much closer. The final was 73, or I'm sorry, 71-53. Wolverines in the Sweet 16 for the fourth straight year. FSU for the third straight year. And Florida State, one thing the Seminoles have, they have size. All five starters are at least 6'5". MJ Walker leads the team with 12.3 points a game. Guards Anthony Polite and freshman Scotty Barnes can score two. They each average 10 points a game. Michigan has a super frosh of its own. The big man in the middle, Hunter Dickinson, DeMatha product, who leads the team with 14.2 points and seven and a half rebounds a game. Now, we talked about this when the tournament started. The injury 
to Isaiah Livers, which was eventually going to catch up to Michigan. And this might be the game that it happens. Here's ESPN Sean Farnham. Not 100% healthy without Isaiah Livers, but it's also more about the quality of opponent in which they're facing here in the Sweet 16 and the uniqueness that Leonard Hamilton's team brings to the floor. They are extremely long and they are deep, and that means that they can really suffocate you. Remember, they can shorten those closeouts a little bit, create space, but still contest shots because of their length, and then they can collapse on the interior. They have active hands. They'll be able to force some turnovers, get those turnovers, and equate to easy runouts, including Scotty Barnes. And I think he's one of the more talented players that we've seen in college basketball this entire season as far as freshmen go. Now, the Wolverines are favored by just two and a half. These teams last met in the 2018 Elite Eight, which Michigan won 58-54. I can't imagine this game being that low scoring. I think it'll be played up in the 70s. I mentioned Michigan. They didn't struggle, but they had a tough time with LSU. Florida State's better than LSU. And again, Michigan doesn't have Isaiah Livers. I like Florida State in this game. To knock off the one seed and advance to take on the winner of the third game Sunday, UCLA and Alabama. Alabama, the second seed, could have easily been a one seed. UCLA is the 11 seed, and they've won three games so far. Right? They won. They had to play in the first four, and then two games after that. Alabama was tested in the first round by Iona, and then they blew out Maryland in the second round. Alabama looking for its first trip to the Elite Eight since 2004. And head coach Nate Oates says it feels pretty good to have gotten this far. Big for the program. I was just talking with somebody in the program. I think it was 2004. It's the last time uh, Alabama's been to the Sweet 16. Uh, So 17 years has been a long time. So I think, you know, we've got three seniors from the state of Alabama and Herb Jones, John Petty, and Alex Reese. So for those three to get us back to the Sweet 16, I'm really happy for them. They've been great. Their attitude's been great. But uh, for myself, I mean (laughs) – if I coach long enough, eventually I should get the one. I would think so. It was. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to help these guys get to get to where they got because I'm hopefully going to be coaching for a lot longer, and they got limited playing careers. So it means a lot more, you know, for me to get them there than it does for myself. And you know, I'm, I'm sure it also means a lot more uh, to have some success at a school that is more known for another sport. Now, I don't, I don't know if you if you know this or not, but Alabama. Uh, pretty good at football. And Coach Oates, he was asked about what it's like to coach basketball at a football school. It is a football school, obviously, but I don't I don't think you have to be one or the other. I, I think you can have a big-time athletic department. There's six programs in our athletic department that have won national championships. They Alabama has no professional sports teams. Everybody gets behind the University of Alabama there. We've got a national brand. Football brings a lot of money in, and look, basketball gets to uh, reap the benefits of some of the uh, stuff. You know, our student-athletes are well taken care of. So I, I like being at a football school. I like football myself a lot. I, shoot, I go to the games. I'm a big fan of college football. I like going going over there and sitting in on meetings and watching practice at, uh, at, at shoot. I mean, Saban's, I think he's the best team coach. And, you know, Jay Will may have arguments. There's pretty good uh, basketball coaches too. But I think Saban's the uh, the best team sport coach there is in the country. So for me to have him right across the, uh, shoot, I mean, it's a minute walk at their offices. So I, I spend as much time as I can trying to learn from him. So 
I think it's great. I think in recruiting, people did try to use it against us like they, they 100% did because we heard it. Now, UCLA has always been a basketball school. We know that. Uh, Bruins are in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017. Alabama has buttered its bread with the three-pointer this season. It's either a three-pointer or a layup. That's how they play. Both teams shooting well from beyond the arc so far in this tournament. UCLA shooting at 42.9% in its three games. Bama at 44.7%. Crimson Tide favored by 6.5. And And when you look at UCLA as done, even as an 11 seed, it's impressive. But I don't think it's all that impressive. I know it sounds crazy. You know, they had to beat Michigan State in the first round, or I'm sorry, the first four. Obviously not the standard Michigan State team. Sparty was up and down all season long. Then they beat, and I said this when the tournament started, a terribly overrated BYU team. And then they beat Abilene Christian. So, yes, they're there as an 11 seed, but they didn't go through the normal path that an 11 seed usually does. You know what I mean? I think Alabama's going to blow them out. It's going to blow them out. I don't think it's going to be close. And then we're going to have an Alabama-Florida State East region final, which would also be pretty good on a football field. Well, maybe like 10 years ago. All right, one last break. We'll come back and go over the one last game on Sunday, and we'll wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We got one more game to get to in this weekend, Sweet 16, the final game on Sunday. An all-Pac-12 matchup in the West region between the six-seed USC and the seven-seed Oregon. Oregon got here by winning just one game. Remember, in the opener, uh, they won by forfeit. VCU had to drop out because of COVID. Then they hammered number two, Iowa. USC went through Drake and then dominated Kansas to reach uh, Sunday's game. Oregon won the Pac-12 regular season championship and has the AP Pac-12 Player of the Year in Chris Duarte. USC finished second in the Pac-12, and according to the way the conference coaches voted, they have the Pac-12 Player of the Year, the Defensive Player of the Year, and the Freshman of the Year, and it's one guy. Seven-footer Evan Mobley. In his last five games, Mobley is averaging 18 points, 10.5 rebounds, and nearly four block shots per game. USC is favoring this game by a deuce. They beat Oregon last month in their only regular season meeting. 72-58 blew them out. They jumped out to a 15-0 lead and rolled from there. Now, that's not going to happen Sunday. Both teams are kind of banged up in the regular season. Oregon is now healthy. USC is healthy. Isaiah Mobley is back from injury. He's playing well. I think USC's playing well overall. And I like them to win this game. I had to, I had them getting this far anyway when I made my pre-tournament picks. But then I had them losing to... Iowa in this game. Well, Iowa, of course, is gone. 
So I like USC's chances against Oregon, and I think they'll move on and play Gonzaga. So that'll be an all-West Coast matchup in the West region, fittingly enough. So there you go. All eight games this weekend broken down for you. If you missed any of them, check out our podcast page on the free Podbean app. I'll upload today's show later on today. So when all is said and done, when we come back here on Monday, look over the Elite Eight, if my picks are correct, which I doubt they are. We'll have Baylor against Arkansas. We'll have Loyola Chicago against Syracuse. We'll have Alabama versus Florida State. And we'll have Gonzaga over or against USC, and more than likely over USC. <laughs> the only one I'm shaky on right now is the Michigan-Florida State game. If Michigan had Isaiah Livers, I would pick them in a heartbeat. But I, I just I think that injury is going to catch up to them. I think Florida State is, again, we mentioned all five starters, at least 6'5". They're long, they're quick, and that's the only game I'm kind of iffy on. But I do like Florida State by, you know, a skosh. All right, and remember, all the games right here on this very station, all eight games of the Sweet 16, coverage starts tomorrow and Sunday, each day, 2 o'clock, so tune in for that. All right, before we get out of here, uh, let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy again? To the near side for Strom. Back to Fox. He shoots and scores. A power play goal. Three nothing Rangers. Mika Zibanejad crossing in front. May have gotten a piece of it. With 6.24 remaining in period one, the Rangers lead by three. And the Rangers with a couple of whacks at it. Comes up the boards. And it's Adam Fox. Across for a shot, scores, Abadijan now has five of his nine goals this season against Carter Hart. Rangers lead 4-0. Into the slots, Abadijan, back out to Fox. Far side, Strom, now Abadijan shoots and scores! His second hat-trick in the last eight days against the Philadelphia Flyers. The calls on 98.7 ESPN New York, the Rangers' Mika Zibanejad. Two Hatties against Philly in a little more than a week. Poor Carter Hart is going to see Zabanajad in his sleep. Dude has 10 goals this season. Six have come against Carter Hart and the Flyers. So for his second hat trick in eight days, Mika Zabanajad of the Rangers, our player who delivered. Honorable mention goes to Nashville's Rocco Grimaldi, who I'm probably related to somehow. He tied a Predators team record with four goals last night in a 7-1 win over Detroit. So those are, I guess, our co-players who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. (laughs) Hey, man, sometimes a player just has, uh, we talk about teams having another team's number. Sometimes it happens player to player. Sometimes a player just has a goaltender's number, and uh, Jag just lights up the Flyers. It's six of his ten goals against one goaltender. That's crazy. Reminder, tonight, high school, I shouldn't say tonight. It's in the afternoon, really. The game will probably be over before it even gets dark. High school football or Allegheny County game of the week, Allegheny at Mountain Ridge. Uh, we'll have the game for you right here. Kickoff is 5 o'clock. Uh, pre-game, eh, around 445, 450-ish. And then this weekend, as I already mentioned, all eight of the Sweet 16 games right here brought to you by Westwood One. Two o'clock coverage tomorrow, two o'clock coverage on Sunday.
And we'll be back on Monday to talk about all of it. Of course, in a usual year, a regular year, the Sweet 16, their first games would have been yesterday. Right? And then second half tonight, and then Elite Eight over the weekend. But things are obviously different, so things are messed up, screwed up, and we just we adapt and we move on. <laughs> so enjoy all the games this weekend. Don't forget, check out our Twitter pages, at ESPN Morning Rush, my page, at Rush Tony C. Also, check out our Facebook page, Cumberland's uh, ESPN Radio. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the hoops. Enjoy the Sweet 16. That's too loud. It's the wrong button. Hate when I do that. Anyway, enjoy the games. Have fun. Be safe. Don't party too hard. And we'll see you back. Or party hard. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. And we'll see you back here Monday, 7 a.m. Sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony Z. And I am done, thankfully. Ah, see ya!